passion for God and compassion for our neighbor, reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. All right, so Psalm 23. Uh, this is one of the Psalms that is just gorgeous. It's beautiful. I've got it up here. You might not be able to see it. I can put it on full screen later if you want. But it's one of those songs that taken at face value, you could just listen to it and it would bless your heart. It would minister to you. I want to tell you, there is a lot to this Psalm that if you understand the context and if you understand who wrote it and what he was going through, it brings it to a whole new level. It brings it to life. And that's what I'm hoping to have happen to us this morning. Um, this psalm, to give you a little background, it was written by King David probably around the year 975 BC, and he was probably in his mid-60s, around 65 years old when he wrote this. Uh, he'd been the king for right around 35 years, and scripture tells us a little bit of, so you understand this, he had eight wives and 20 children, at least, is what scripture says. Uh, he had just endured this terrible terrible decade of his life. Uh, during this decade, one of his sons, Amnon, had taken physical advantage of his sister Tamar, um, and that was that was terrible. And then uh, Tamar's full brother, Absalom, went and killed Amnon. And then uh, Absalom was basically driven out of Jerusalem and driven away from his family. So David's been through some real trials, and, and it's not even over yet, because as he's writing it, um, this is after about five years, Absalom returns, and then when Absalom returns, he undermines King David. He, he basically comes back, he wins the favor of the people, and he runs David out of, the, out of uh, the kingdom, out of the temple, and David has to flee for his life, and he's lost the kingdom. And now David is a fugitive, and he's up in this, this fortress city called Mahanaim, and he's up there, and he's far away from Jerusalem, and he's lost his kingdom, and he's away from his family, and he's on the run from his son, and he pens this, this beautiful psalm, Psalm 23. Most people think that is when it was written. So with that said, let me read through it, and then we'll start to pick this apart. Psalm 23 says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's Psalm 23, verses 1 through 4. And there's a lot I want to tell you about this. these few uh, verses here. The first is this. If you notice, David uses the Lord, and it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And when you're in the Old Testament and you see Lord like that, that's referring to God's name, Jehovah. Now, in the previous Psalm, Psalm 23, he refers to the Lord, and it's a capital L, lowercase o-r-d, and that's referring to God's title as master or ruler or the definition of a Lord. But here he's not using that. He's using Jehovah. He's, he's calling God by his first name. He's, he's addressing him as a person that he knows. And you see an intimacy here now. I've got a picture up here of um, the royal family. This is Prince William and Prince uh, Princess Kate. And they came over to the States back in 2014 and they went to catch a Cleveland Cavaliers game. And after the game, they got to meet some of the players. They met LeBron James and they got to take a photo with him and he got a photo with them. And the next day, that photo ran in the United States and it was kind of the idea as the people in the U.S. saw it, they thought, oh, that's cool. It's English royalty with basketball royalty. And they really thought it was a great picture, thought nothing of it. 
But over in the UK, over in England, that picture did not go very well. And the reason is this. There's kind of a protocol or an etiquette that a regular person is never supposed to touch royalty unless they extend a hand to be shaken or they want a hug, they, they, they initiate it. You do not touch royalty. And so over here in the U.S., we saw that picture one way, but over there in the U.K., they saw it as a little offensive. Like here, a normal person, non-royalty, touched the princess. Now, I just bring that picture up for the sake of saying David here, and David revered God. He had a high view of God. But he's coming to God in a very personal, in a very close way. And he calls him by his first name, Jehovah, my Lord. So that's the first thing I want to point out. The second is this. Do you notice there's a condition and there's a conclusion in this first verse? The condition is, because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Uh, God was enough for David. And he points it out from the very beginning. God is enough. Now, Keep in mind what he's gone through. He's lost the kingdom. His, his son has turned against him. He's on the run for his life. David's not having a bad day. David's in a rough season. And yet he's saying, God is enough. The next thing I'd like to point out is from verses 2 and 3. And David comes back to this analogy of the shepherd and the sheep. And again, he was a shepherd as a teenager, as a young man, and he knew very well the role of a shepherd. And he comes back to that uh, analogy and he says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And for, for King David, as he's writing this, he's referring to when you get the sheep to the good place, man. It's, it's, it's the best place they can be where they can rest, they can, they can eat, and, and they're just able to, to um, take it easy. And most of the sheep's, sheep's year wasn't like this. There was only maybe two or three months of the year when they could rest like this. And that's what he's referring to here. Now, when I think of this, I think of like, for, for a person, for me, I think of being on a beach. I think of a palm tree. I think of a Jimmy Buffett song. You know, that that's the idea here is, is God let me rest. He, he brought peace. And then he says something else, which I think is really interesting. He talks about restoring his soul. Okay. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So he's been restored. And now he talks about getting on the right path. And uh, I think this is so important because it's so easy as a follower of Jesus to get off the path, to get in a funk. Um, you know, a lot of you know me, and you know that for a couple of years, I was an educational counselor over at Iowa Lakes Community College. And one of the things that I dealt with daily is I'd have students come into the office, and they were failing classes. They were doing poorly in classes. And you know what we do is we pull up all of their grades. We pull up all of their missed assignments, and we'd basically see where they were at. And, and the line I always used is, here's what has to happen to get you back on track, okay? Now, that's academics. That's college. Here, what, what David is saying is, God, God is the one that gets them back on track. And it's, it's, it's not an academic track, of course. It's back on track with God. It's back into righteousness and God's ways. So it's very important. The condition here is the Lord helps me rest. And there's a conclusion that he restores my soul and he gets me back on his track. So God wanted to help David and to get him back on track. The third thing I want to point out here is in verse 4. David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And if you have an ESV, you'll have a little asterisk or a little letter there, and you'll have a little footnote, and it'll probably say the valley of deep darkness or the darkest valley. 
that shadow of death isn't just like a cool term that David's using. It's a real place. It's found between Jerusalem and Jericho. It's a canyon. It's a very dangerous valley. And David, as a, as a shepherd boy outside of Bethlehem, he would have taken his sheep through there several times. And this valley is so deep and so sharp that it's got cliffs that you can fall on. It's got all kinds of caves where uh, robbers can hang out. And it's a very dangerous place. There's no vegetation down there. It's said that only at high noon does the sun even shine down in this valley of shadows. It's still there today. I mean, we could get on a plane and go over there and see this place. So David, just as he thought of a green pasture, he's thinking of a real place right now. And he's saying, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. And this this valley, you know, I, I think this this verse is used a lot of times like for funerals and when death happens. And I think that's okay. I think that's appropriate. But what David really has in here in mind here is not death. It's life when it's worse than death. It's life in that hardest season of life. And the odds are almost all of you listening to this could identify a season like that or several that were just so difficult to get through. Um, I was watching over the last month this series called The Last Dance on ESPN, and they tracked the Michael Jordan Bulls of the 1990s. And there was one scene and there was one episode that really stood out to me. Uh, It was Michael Jordan's fourth championship. You know, he'd won three, and then he retired, and he went to play baseball. And it was during that time that his father was murdered. He was killed. And Jordan came back after like a season and a half or two seasons. And the Bulls won the fourth championship. And they actually won this championship on Father's Day. And and I had never seen this before. But after the game, Michael Jordan went back into the, the locker room. And he laid on the floor and he just wept. Uncontrollably, uncontrollably he wept. And it was like he had been bottling this stuff up for a couple of years. And he just was finally able to let it out. Um, that's kind of the idea that David's going after. It, it's... It's those really hard seasons of life that he's referring to. Uh, One other thing I think that's really important, really important to point out here, and I love about this verse, is he stops talking about God as he, and he starts referring to God as you. It's as if he stopped talking about God, and he has started talking directly to the Lord, to Jehovah, to God. And I think that's beautiful. I'll read this verse. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Uh, In verses 4, David turns his attention straight to God, and he's talking to him. The condition found here is you, meaning the Lord, are with me, and his conclusion is, therefore, I will fear no evil. doesn't say he won't be afraid or it won't be scary. He just says, I will fear no evil. The takeaway here is that God allows trials, but he will go through them with David. And that's a takeaway for us as well. Being a Christian does not mean God protects us from everything. It means he's there with us and everything, and he'll help us get through it. Now, there's three big takeaways that I want to point out from this text, and I think these are very relevant for today. The first one is this. God was enough for David. Is God enough for you? Is God enough for me? Um I'm going to hit this on two levels, and the first is on what I'm going to call a surface level. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 8 says this, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. And really what, what the Apostle Paul is saying to Timothy here is, God is more than enough. 
God is more than enough. And that's a truth that is all throughout Scripture. It's found throughout Scripture. Um, I have to be really honest with you. Sometimes I fall into this trap where I start to think God plus X will equal happiness. You know, God, I love you. You're good. If I had you plus just this one thing, boy, I'd be happy. And I'm, con- you know, and I don't fall for that all the time, but I can look back at seasons of my life and times of my life and things in my life where I just said, man, God, like if I just had that too, I'd be so happy. That's not, that's not what we signed up for. That's not what David's talking about. The deal is God is more than enough. And we don't need anything else. Everything else is frosting on the cake. But there's a deeper level, deeper level here. So what I'm talking about there is kind of materialism or when we think we need things and they're really just wants, but we think we need them. But there's a deeper level, which I think um, is far more tempting. And it's more like this. It's more like, God, I just want my family to be healthy. I want my family to know you. I want to get along well with my family. These are the things that are more important than materials. It's like, I want peace with my family. And I think sometimes we come to God and when we don't have that, as hard as that is, it's like we're disappointed with God. Let me go ahead and read this to you. This is Paul again speaking to the Philippians. And he says this, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And what Paul's describing here is like when everything is taken away. It's this endurance that just says, man, life is so hard right now, but God you're enough. And and I just want to point out, sometimes we have a different equation. It's not God plus this would make me happy, but it's like, God, you know, I love you, but if, if you were to take this out of my life, I would really be disappointed in you. I, I would really have a hard time with you. And again, we have to come back to the idea that God is enough. God is more than enough. And I think that's what we get from David in this first point. The second point is this, God wants to help you and keep you on his track. God wants to help you and keep you on his track. I just want to tell you, you know, I I started writing this message, not this past week, but the week before. And what was really on my mind was our community, our country, and our world starting to open up from the coronavirus. And that was really what was on my mind. And I'd been seeing a couple things where those that were ready to open were just, it's our freedom, it's our freedom. And those that were scared to open or not quite ready to open or had conditions were like, it's my safety, it's my safety. And both sides are valid. But what was happening was people were starting to get really kind of short towards each other, kind of rude towards each other. On top of that, politics has just gone bonkers. Can I say that? Democrats are just ruthless towards Republicans. Republicans are just ruthless towards Democrats. Uh, It's gotten to the point where on Facebook I can barely read it because both people I disagree with and people I agree with are being so rude and condescending to the other side. So I picked this verse out about a week and a half ago, and I want to read it to you. Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17 says, and this is Paul again speaking. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. 
and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I love those verses, and I thought that was so applicable to what was going on a week ago. But man, how our world, how our country, how the Midwest especially has has even changed in the last week, week and a half. Um, I just kind of want to share with you some of what I've been through over this last week. And, And this isn't me complaining, and I don't claim to have had a hard week. It's been emotionally exhausting because I've had a lot of feelings. I've been torn both ways. I've seen both sides of a lot of things. But I just want to walk you through probably in just one or two minutes what I've kind of been going through. And then I'll bring it back around to to this verse. Um, You know, it was about a a little over a week ago that I first saw the video of, of George Floyd being killed. And it was so troubling. And, and everybody I know that has seen it was terribly troubled to see that because it's wrong. Murder is wrong. Um, Taking advantage of somebody like that is wrong. Uh, The other officers not helping is, is wrong. And, and I felt that way so strongly. And, you know, I've had conversations with my boys. I've had conversations with friends about this. And um, it's just wrong. And it broke my heart to see it. It broke my heart. From there, you know, on TV, I saw several peaceful protests. And I saw prayer. One of my best friends uh, um, that lives up in the cities was, was on a prayer walk. And he said they went to the place where this happened, the intersection. And people were giving their lives to Jesus. People were repenting. People were, um, it, like, God did something there. And, and I was just thankful to hear that, that peaceful protests were happening and that prayer was a part of it. And then shortly after that, we kind of swing to the other side, and all of a sudden I start hearing about riots and aggression and, um, and things that really wouldn't honor George Floyd, things that his family and his fiancée have said he wouldn't want to see happen, um, things that really have—it's it, hard to connect them with racism or with, with, with what happened, the injustice that happened to him. And, and you see people in these riots talking so terribly to police officers, good police officers. You see them um, putting hands on police officers, and it, it breaks my heart, and, and I grieve over that. And then um, I started to see a couple of days later something that was very encouraging. Some of the protesters would stand in front of these Target stores or these department stores when the rioters were coming. And here these protesters were protesting what had happened, but they weren't going to let another evil happen. And they were the ones to stand in the gap there and just say, no, two wrongs are not going to make a right. I also saw um, a very troubling video where a police officer was, was taken down by several people. And I was very proud to see peaceful protesters get in the middle of that and push these aggressive people away and say, no, that's not what we're doing here. So I've been back and forth between seeing some of the worst of humanity and some of the best of humanity. Um, and then... It had to do with racism a little bit, and, and and let me explain that to you. You know, I'm a I'm a I'm a white male in the Midwest small town of Iowa. I I I, I do not see racism in my life. I don't experience it. My, as far as I know, none of my friends or family are like that, and so it's very foreign to me. But this week, I called up a couple friends. Uh, one is a, a a minority who uh, who lives in the area here, and I just said, you know, talk to me about racism, and he said, and. He's very solid in Jesus. 
He's not dramatic. He's very level-headed. And he said, yeah, Chris, racism is still very real. And it, it does still happen even around here in small town Iowa. And it's happened to me. And that really broke my heart to hear. Another friend of mine who's, who's uh, from another country just got his green card last month. Um, he's white. He's Caucasian. But he's from another country. Uh, was being harassed by one of his neighbors for not being from this country. And I was talking to him and he just said, yeah, Chris, racism is very much alive and well. And so... Um, I shouldn't say it well, but it's happening. And so that's just hard for me to hear. I don't experience it. I don't see it in my life. But it was very really brought to the surface for me. And, and I'm broken for um, my friends and loved ones that I know that, that are experiencing that. And I'm, I'm burdened for those that I don't know that are experiencing that. So that's hard. Um, but then, you know, you see things online. So again, this is just back and forth, guys. And I'm just, I'm being real with you. You see these, these really strong emotional opinions being posted online and being said, and these raw feelings. And, and, and on both sides, you know, there's, there's things like this rioting shouldn't happen. This is wrong. And this shouldn't happen to, to George Floyd. And it's wrong. And, 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 and I fully agree with that. And then there's the other side, which is like the rioting is wrong. But these people need to be heard, and they haven't been heard, and, and, and they're trying to express their voice in some way we have to listen. And so I don't want to get in the middle of this, but I've got friends on both sides, and they're posting things that they just, they're raw about, and they care a lot about. And then it kind of switches from their posting their feelings to now they're responding to each other, and they're arguing. And they're being rude and they're unfriending each other on Facebook. And they're really getting out of bounds on things. And it, it kind of breaks my heart again. And then one of my friends from this church posts what I had been thinking. He says, some of y'all just need to take a break from Facebook. You know, some of y'all need to take a break. You're, you're kind of losing your mind right now. And, um, and some people have done that. And then there was this... Uh, you know, this, this thing where people are doing the blackout and they're posting this. And they're like, I'm just going to... I'm going to stay off line for a while. I'm going to stay off Facebook. And, you know... Some of them are supporting a cause, and some of them are just saying, I'm taking a break. And then and then from there, and again, I'm like, okay, if you need to take a break, great. But Bridget has a friend back in Iowa City whose daughter is is in high school, and she doesn't post that. She posted a picture from the family vacation. And all of her friends that did the blackout started attacking this, this teenage girl saying, you must be a racist if you're not willing to post this this picture online. And it just gets out of control. So all I'm telling you is this. I, this week, have just gone back and forth from being heartbroken to encouraged, to heartbroken, to hopeful, to, to, to heartbroken. And at the end of the day, you know, I'm not the guy that has a lot of insight in, into, into these race issues. But what, what I do know is I think Jesus is the only answer for this. So I'm going to come back to this verse, and I want to read this one more time. And I want you to keep this in mind in the context of what's going on with George Floyd, what's going on with the rioting, what's going on with politics, what's going on with Facebook posts, what's going on with reopening. And as I read this to you, this is first and foremost written Christian to Christian, how we handle this in-house brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ. But this can totally extend to how we handle the world around us. Let me read it one more time because it's so good. It's so good. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive and above all these, 
put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the, norm, in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I just think that's our answer. I know that's our answer, and I want to come back to that. We need to touch on that today. I do have one more point I want to quickly point out from David's uh, psalm here, and it's this. God allows trials, but he will go through them with you. God allows trials, but he'll go through them with you. Here's the deal. David writes the psalm while he's on the run from Absalom, but he does he does fight back, and he sends his general Joab to the battle, to the war, and he gives him one major instruction. No matter what happens, don't kill Absalom. Spare my son. Don't kill him. And I think most of you know the story. Absalom is fleeing. He's, he's running through the, uh, he's riding a horse through the woods, and his hair gets caught up in a low-hanging branch, and the horse goes on, and Absalom is left hanging there. And Joab, who was ruthless, comes along. He disregards David's instruction. And he just kills Absalom. He runs him through with a sword. I'll start reading in 2 Samuel 18 as word gets back to David. And behold, the Cushite came. That's the guy given the news. The Cushite came and the Cushite said, Good news for my lord, the king. For the Lord has delivered you this day from the hand of all those who rose up against you. And I want you to notice the one thing David cares about is this. The king said to the Cushite, is it well with the young man Absalom? And the Cushite answered, may the enemies of my lord the king and all who rise up against you for evil be like that young man. In other words, what he's saying is, no, it's not all right with him. He's dead. He's dead. And the king was deeply moved. He was shaken. He was heartbroken and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. David is just rocked. And this is a very real example from Scripture that it doesn't always go exactly how we hope. And I, I love that about Scripture, that it's real, it's truthful, it doesn't sugarcoat stuff. David's son died. He was killed. He was killed by Joab, who was given the instruction not to. Um, God, God does not always spare us from the valleys, but he goes in them with us and he helps us get through them. I, I do want to wrap up with a, a true life story. And this has been made into a movie. In fact, we watched this movie at, at the Crosswinds Spirit Lake campus uh, earlier this year. Um, the movie's called Unbroken. It's about this army soldier who was captured in, in, I think it's World War II, by, by the Japanese, by the enemy uh, um, in war. And he's really tortured. He's really tortured. And in the movie, it kind of shows his strength and how he made it through it. Um, but after the movie came out, this man, Louis, uh, his son, wrote an article where he was a little more transparent about his dad. So again, in the movie, Louis is portrayed as this guy that's just physically broken, but mentally unbroken, and he keeps it together. Louis' son wrote this, and the guy's name is Louis Zamperini, by the way. He said, Dad, you see, survived the horrors of war physically unbroken, but returned to the States emotionally shattered, 
suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. He tried to kill the pain with alcohol and was consumed by visions of murdering his chief Japanese tormentor. It was only when, at the urging of my mother, he attended a Billy Graham crusade in 1949 and surrendered his life to Jesus Christ that my father truly became unbroken. The nightmare stopped, so did the drinking, and he dedicated the rest of his life to serving others. That was Luke Zamperini, the son of Louis. Um, guys, it's a beautiful psalm. When you know who wrote it and what he was going through, it really comes to life. I just want to tell you, um, God's there for us. He's there for us in the valley of the shadow of death. And I, I certainly hope that during those seasons of life when we have to go through those, we go through them with him. And uh, through it, he draws us nearer to himself. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. Thanks for being with us. And may God continue to enrich your life.